And whatever it might be that you can say, I love it too. If you can put that word in a sentence and mean it, that's what you should be doing. Welcome to A Congruent Life, where we share inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. A Congruent Life is an interview project sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, discovering their passions, and living authentic, amazing lives. Here's your host, Andy Gray. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to episode 59 of A Congruent Life. My name is Andy Gray, and thanks for joining us for some conversations with some pretty inspiring people about authenticity and reinvention. I'm talking today to Diane Bischoff-James, who is an author of a new book called The Real Brass Ring. Diane, welcome to A Congruent Life. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm really glad to make the connection as well. I uh, recently came across your book, and the themes of your book are so closely aligned with the show that I knew that you'd be a perfect guest. So uh, we did a little bit of juggling trying to make the connection, but I'm glad that we finally did and have a chance to talk today. Yes, thank you so much. I, I felt the same way when I was reading about your show and all about authenticity and living in the here and now in the real self. And I was very, very excited. Great. Yeah, the combination of authenticity and reinvention, th those are both pretty serious topics. And uh, it seems like it's right up your alley. So let's maybe start, Diane. Can you tell us a little bit about your early life? You know, say part one of Diane's life and how you were living. I don't know, do you call it the, the typical American dream or whatever sort of lifestyle you're, you're constructing? Can you give us kind of a sense of what your early life was like? Yes, absolutely. Um, I considered myself to be a soldier. I was following the rules as they were given to me as a young child about what to do and how to live. And it was pretty much exactly as you had mentioned in pursuit of the American dream. I was told you have to get a big education. You have to go for one of four major careers, right? Doctor, lawyer, accountant, or engineer. If you do those four things, you're going to be a happy person. And so I pursued the, the big career. I ended up um, going to Northwestern, got a master's. I was kind of a little off. I thought I was a big rebel by doing marketing with an engineering focus. And so um, I was able to get all the stuff that you see in the Kardashian show, right? You know, the keeping up show where you have, you know, the big mini mansion and all the stuff, the cute convertible and the cute, you know, for women anyway, the handbags and the purses and the shoes. And, and so I was able to go after all that. But what I found is after doing that for about 10, 15 years um, and also getting the family going too and being in a long-term relationship that there was quite a bit missing from that American dream. It's such a typical story. So many of the folks that we talk to have stories like this where, you know, you're doing everything right. You know, you're living the life that you were supposed to live in the culture that, you know, all the scripts that were basically given. This is how you live. And you ticked them all off. You know, you had the career, you had the house, you had the family. By all, you know, outward appearances, you're living a successful and amazing life. So what was it that sort of started cluing you in that maybe you weren't really as happy as you thought you should be? Well, what happened is I had a, I had a strange calling at, you know, at my age of like 38, I had a couple of friends, strangely, and of course, this was synchronicity, I didn't know it at the time, but two people within a very short time said, you know, you really should go see this woman called Sonia Choquette. 
and she's an internationally known psychic now. Back then, this was about 10, 12 years ago, she was still emerging and she'd had a couple of books out. Now I think she has 14. But she was down the street in Chicago and I decided to go see her for my birthday. I thought it would just be a really fun birthday gift. And I, I really thought she was going to give me the double thumbs up and say, keep going. You know, you're doing it right. You're on track. And I went to see her. And instead, for one hour, she bashed my life. She took a bat and she smacked it across on every single solitary level and said, in a nutshell, I was an unlit Christmas tree. There wasn't a single bulb firing. I was in a long-term relationship, but there was no heart connection. She said that um, I was a mother, which I was, again, kind of programmed to do. I was a mother of three, but that I was a smother mother or a helicopter parent, so I wasn't really even doing that well. She said, wrong career, and that I was chronically depressed, and um, it was actually clinically depressed, and that I was, I never told anybody it was actually popping Prozac every day just to keep going. And she was too polite to say, at the time, I was 190 pounds. So she also didn't call me out on the fact that I was grossly overweight. Uh, but, you know, that was the outward sign that the inside was really messed up. Uh, but she said, go ahead and you're supposed to be an actor and a, and a teacher and a healer and an author. And she's like, don't come back and see me until you write that book. And honestly, I had no idea what she was talking about. I had always loved acting. I'd loved it as a child. Shut it down because I was told that was a horrible career by my parents. You know, don't pursue that. You have to pursue business. So I kind of put it away. I was the high school musical superstar, and that was the end of that. That chapter was closed. So she um, kind of stormed out of her office and left me saying, you don't have to reboot a little bit, like, you know, just make maybe make some new friends or move to a new city. She said everything about your life was a complete and utter mess and off track. So I had to take a hard look at myself and figure out how I was going to macro reboot everything. And the first, the first thing I did is I just cried because I don't know how you hear that every possible aspect of your life is wrong. And so instead of hearing, oh, you're this, you know, ooh, what a success. I heard, I heard failure. I heard failure on all levels. And so I didn't know what to do, quite honestly. I was a little stuck, but, um, it took me 10 years, but I did every single solitary thing on her list, and I'm still working on it. So I um, I did the macro reboot for over a decade, and, and here we are. I think it's really interesting how you were expecting uh, – that you weren't really taking this very seriously, right? You said, I thought this would be a fun little birthday gift. Everything is going to be great. You're sort of walking in expecting a pat on the back, but instead you get this sort of devastating – perspective on your life that it sounded like was was news to you really at least at a, a high level it it was and in, in that I I think I was so disconnected with my inner self that I was focusing on you know two aspects or maybe one aspect of life which was the mental aspect of life you know the ego the driven ambitious self of get the money get all the stuff and keep it up. By the way, they, they don't tell you once you get those mini mansions, someone's got to pay for that stuff. So the more I acquired and the bigger I made my nut, you know, filling it, filling it with stuff, the more pressure it, it was creating. Um, so I was completely disconnected with the emotional side of myself and completely disconnected with any type of spirituality. Although I had been studying self-help and spiritual books for since I was a kid. Um, she said, you got to get these 10 books, read them. And then she goes, and I'm telling you, I, I want you to march yourself off to this place called Hoffman Institute 
they're in California and they're uh, kind of like a, uh, I call it like spiritual rehab. You, you go and you undo everything that is wrong with you, come back this authentic brand new spanking baby soul. And, um, it took me a couple of years after my, my first appointment with her, but I realized I was so sad on the inside that I had a steamer trunk, steamer trunk worth of negative self-love messages. In fact, I had no self-love. And because of that, I had to take each aspect of myself one step at a time to try to fix all this. So out, out, outward looked good inside pretty much running it about like I would give myself like a zero or a one on being fulfilled. And I had just learned to shove it and stuff it down, stuff it down with food. And I, I, I think that that was my addiction and, and still, you know, something I, I still struggle with, although I've lost 55 pounds. It's that addiction, that go-to place where if I can't get love for myself, I'm sure the Twinkie, Twinkie's going to give it to me for a couple minutes. So I had the chance to experience all aspects of that and eating everything on your plate, right? Eat everything on your plate because somebody in China doesn't have any food or some those kind of messages. And I was talk about being a good soldier. I ate everything I could see. So that was my one, that was my one downfall, big downfall. I'm interested in that period right after you had that visit with Sodia, where you received a completely opposite message that you were expecting to hear. What was your reaction to that? You said that at first you were very sad. I mean, obviously that's a huge blow to, to hear that, but how did you, how did you start unpacking that and say, wait a minute, there maybe is something really here for me. As opposed to just saying, oh, she's a nut job. She doesn't really know. My life really is perfect. Uh, there's a certain amount of getting to the authentic message there and the courage that goes along with that. And I'm curious what that experience was like for you. Um, I, I had to go through an, an excavation, actually. And I think the, uh, that it's a great question because the excavation, I think, for most of us comes on, I'm going to start you know, with the emotional self. Um, that part of me was so broken and so disconnected because again, just scripts and messages from growing up about, you know, follow the rules, uh, do what you're told to do and never, ever, ever tell the dirty secrets, never come clean. I always say we have a rug in the family room of our house and it's stuffed with everything that we're never supposed to talk about, never supposed to expose. And it's about, you know, 20 stories tall and no one ever takes that rug up. They never lift it up because if we did, in my family of origin, that would make you a bad kid, bad girl, bad boy. So I had to go through this excavation process and really take a look at the my emotional self and feel again. I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel love. I didn't feel, well, Prozac, by the way, will make you feel nothing. But um, I realized that I had been covering everything up with pills, everything up with these, you know, food as, as my one little sense of love. And I had to go to Hoffman. And after that, it really broke free for me because I had so much that was covered up. After Hoffman, I took um, I took a, a very um, hard look at myself. And right before you leave there, they have this little exercise. You don't really tell who you are while you're there. It's very much just about you dealing with you. But at the end, you get to stand up and say what you do. And I stood up in front of these group of people I've been hanging out with for seven days. And I said, I'm an, I'm an author and I'm a teacher and I'm an actor. And they all started clapping for me, you know, and they were like, oh, that's great. And I... I turned around and thought to myself, no, you're just a big fat liar is what you are. You weren't, I wasn't doing any of that yet. But for some reason, those words just poured out. And when they poured out, I realized I had the opportunity to make them real. So I made a commitment and a promise to myself 
that there was no way I was going to come back and do this life over again and make the kind of mistakes that I was currently making. I was going to fix every last aspect of it. You know, it was kind of like it was very Scarlett O'Hara as God is my witness, you know. And and Sonia had said right before the end of our session, she said, you got to hurry up and grab at the real brass ring, hence the name of the book, before it's too late. So I started doing that. And I, I went over to my first, I went out to my first audition. I knew I was still 190 pounds and I had to battle the messages. The mental messages say, oh, actors are thin. Actors are probably talented and probably experienced. Well, I wasn't any of those probably. <laughs> and I showed up anyway. And I corseted myself and I put on a flouncy dress and big boots and I thought maybe they won't see. <laughs> maybe they just won't see how it is that I look right now. And I marched myself over to a community theater audition for Oliver and stood there in front of these table of people expecting me to have this fabulous singing audition. And they said, okay, go ahead, sing us something. And I hadn't sung anything in 20 years. So I... I had to pin my hands behind my back because they were shaking so bad. And this pitchy, horrible song of wouldn't it be loverly kind of like came out of my mouth. And it was shockingly bad. I mean, the kind of faces that they were making was, it was painful. It was painful for me to see, but it's probably worse for them to hear. And I thought, okay, you know, I'm just going to slink out of this place. I made a mistake. I, I, I showed up, but you know, whatever, this is not working out. And as I kind of started moving towards the door, they said, no, wait a minute. Would you like to read for the role of Nancy? And I, I thought, Okay, wait a minute. That's the lead. <laughs> you know, that's the lead of the play. Um, sure. And I just went for that brass ring, grabbed it. I threw on some weird Cockney accent and took a pose. And I did this whole scene with the director. And I think, I don't know where it came from, but obviously it was some, some kind of gift from, gift from above. And the director looked kind of perked up and everything. And they said, okay, we'll give you a call. Well, I went out to my car and I was so happy that I just showed up, that I jumped up and down in the snow for like 20 minutes before I even got inside because I was, I came from the place of surrender, but huge gratitude just for having that kind of courage. So I put those courageous shoes back on, went home, waited for the call. And, you know, I waited like first day, second day, third day. And then like by the fifth day, I figured, okay, you did mess up. You know, we'll regroup. We'll, we'll come up with another plan. And right then in that full surrender, I got the call and they're like, Diane, I'm like, yes. They're like, we'd like to offer you a role. I'm like, yes. Thinking, okay, it's Nancy, right? And they said, townsperson one. (laughs) And I was so happy to have the opportunity to make myself an actor that I figured I was no longer a liar. (laughs) And because of that, I danced and I sang for three months, lost 30 pounds in the first month and a half. And it all just started clicking. It it started coming together because I was able to look at the brass ring, go for it no matter what was stopping me and gave it kind of that full heart try. And, And that's how the whole thing started. I just had to take each and every opportunity like that, address it, confront it, walk through it and use all kinds of these really cool techniques, some of which I, I outline in the book to, to move forward. And then I put together these 14 rules for happy living. And those are the rules by which I now live. And that sealed the deal. That changed everything, those 14 rules. Mm. Yeah, let's talk a bit about those rules because that's, a, I think, a novel piece of your book that out of this chaos, essentially, um, trying on this new identity, standing up and, you know, seeing yourself as a as a liar, but actually making it true, 
not having this experience, jumping right into this play, getting a role. I mean, that, that's that's an amazing bit of uh, courage and, I guess, self-discipline. Because I think it would be pretty easy for a lot of people to, you know, sort of wallow in that. It's like, oh, well, maybe someday I will be an actor. Maybe I'm supposed to be. Maybe I'm not. Uh, but it sounded like you kept pushing through. And so there, there must have been a, a source of courage for you in seeing that through, I guess. Yes, and, I, and I'd, I'd have to say it, it all... It all went back to some of the key messages that Sonia left me with. Uh, one of them is that, you know, I said, well, what if I don't grab the real brass ring? And this is the last thing she said before I saw her. She said, then you're going to have to come back and do it again. And somehow those words, they, they not only went through my head, but they went all the way down to my boots. My, and I thought, you know what? No. <laughs> I, I refuse. So I, I had a, a resolution. I think at a cellular level that said, if I have, and I was also really good at calculating stuff. So I figured I had about 11,000 days left. And after, you know, mid seventies, I might want to kind of chill out a little bit. So I thought, you know, I've got, I've got about 30 years, about 11,000 days. And I, I really said, there is no way that you're going to skip any aspect of what she listed. So it was a certain amount of resolve. It was a certain amount of courage. But I think what happened, and this is the part of it, because as much self-discipline as we have, there's, of course, always the saboteur, right, of all the archetypes that we can have. You know, they say that there's the victim, the prostitute, the child, and the saboteur. Well, I think the saboteur can run amok with us a lot, where let's say I just wouldn't accept a role that was too low. Or if I, you know, if, I, if, if any of us choose not to grab at that ring and really grab at whatever comes along, the first step, that baby step, I think the saboteur is usually involved in that. So I had a lot of sabotage messages going on in that I would say, you know, writing a book, I, my huge, huge, huge fear, underlying fear was fear of rejection. So when someone says, write a book and don't come back and see me till it's done, the, the programs just start running. Oh, you can't write a book. You can't expose secrets. How, and this was our very juicy, real book about things that you're not supposed to write about. You know, it's about what really happens in a divorce and what really happens when, you know, your in-laws may not be totally favored, totally like you, or what happens when you have to go into cougar dating and you're, you know, you're in your mid forties and you have to go have no friends that are single. I mean, you know, it's all about the raw and real part of this. And so I think to overcome a lot of it is to look at the messages that are coming across and, and find the source of them. And I realized that I was terrified that I was going to be rejected by the people that I love the most, which actually was family. So I was able to go kind of like do that. Like I'd ask myself, show me. And this is one of my tricks that I use a lot before I go to bed. I say, show me, show me why this is so hard or show me what's stopping me. And I usually will get like a, just a mental image of what it is I'm most afraid of. And as it starts to formulate, I could take a look at it and say, wow, no one in my family will ever talk to me again. Or I'll have no friends. Or you'll end up in that place where everybody doesn't want to be alone, right? But we're born alone and we die alone. So we're terrified of it while we're here on earth. And I had to come to grips with it. And I think that's the biggest, uh, the, the strongest turning point for anybody is when you come to grips with that fear, turn it around and make it, you know, one of your greatest allies, one of your greatest assets. Okay, I'm afraid of being alone. Then you work through what happens if I'm alone. Oh, well, 
I'll be hanging out by myself watching TV or watching The Bachelor, you know, and and I had to come through that fear. And, and the funny thing is, I'll be really honest with you, some of that stuff happened. Things I'm afraid of. I'm not afraid of stuff that doesn't happen. I'm afraid of stuff that does. <laughs> and and I had I had a lot of issues with my family after the book was written. I had a lot of issues with friends that weren't happy that I exposed myself and people turned away. Some people turned away. But it was way more peaceful than I expected. The fear is always a lot bigger. It's the lion in the cage. It's never, you know, the mouse or, you know, the, the, you know, I'd be a little afraid of a mouse, but it's the lion that we're most afraid of. And, and all those things always end up being moderately challenging, not, not so challenging that you can't do it. And then so I've had to address each and every one of them just in order to make this real. Because, uh, as you know, there's a lot of rejection in anything we do, but people are also afraid sometimes of the opposite. What if, what if you're successful? Then what? Oh, I won't be around. I won't be able to raise my kids. So we run through both sides, and I think that's what keeps everybody locked and stuck. That's some great wisdom there. Thanks for sharing the story. The, the fear of rejection is a huge one. I mean, we face that in so many different ways. And it sounds like you were able to address that head on and, and realize that perhaps what you were fearing was really more fearful than the, the reality that that played out. Yes. And, and it's part about the tribe, too. I, I realize that's almost like a, a lineage thing. I think we're afraid uh, if the tribe leaves. I don't know if this goes back to, you know, when we were, you know, way, way, way back. But, you know, if you don't have any tribe members, then we're all going to starve to death in the cave, right, or beaten by the saber-toothed tiger or whatever it might be. Um, I think a lot of those those fears of how we're going to get rejected by family or others um, hit us at a core level and it's and and that core level is where the self-nurturing needs to come in mm. because I, I do know some people who have had made very courageous choices and they've had a parent say I don't want to see you anymore or you're no longer my son or you're no longer my daughter that sometimes being some of the greatest fears that we have that we'll get rejected from from parents and that's like death and, and so, you know, and I had some of that. I had a lot of it, honestly. And uh, that's all going to be in the second book. But there was a lot of fallout. There was a lot of fallout from this that I, Pollyanna-wise, didn't expect. Yet I guess I knew it would happen. And, and here's the funny thing. Time heals a lot of wounds and lets people really come around. And a lot of that then turned into acceptance. And, and that's where the peace comes when you work through all that. It becomes very peaceful. It also becomes amazingly fun and a happier place to be when you're, when the authenticity is resonating and whatever it might be that you can say, I love it too. If you can put that word in a sentence and mean it, that's what you should be doing. Like I love to, you know, go by the beach. I love to paint. I love to do any of those things. That is when people start resonating at that higher frequency. And so the fun part is even though you have to go through the fear in those aspects, the other side is amazing. It's really awesome. So, so that's the upside of it. I, I think we've been touching on some of them in the stories that you've been telling. But uh, tell us a little bit more about the rules. Uh, how did you, how did you distill these experiences into a set of uh, rules that you wanted to live by? Well, um, I have the wonderful experience of having a business background. So I thought after seeing Sonia, I was going to create my own science. I'm like, why not? And so I call it pragmatic metaphysics. It's a combination. Uh, it's lo logical mysticism, if there is such a thing. 
And I was trying to think, okay, if I had to summarize every book that I've read, and I've read probably thousands of self-help, metaphysical, studied tons of just all these different orientations of how people have been able to do what we came here to do. And I thought to myself, you know what? I can't read any more books right now. I just have to synthesize. So I put it down in these rules. If you could grab the nuggets from what all these amazing authors and people have been saying, what would they be? And that's what the, it started out as 12 rules. And then I added a couple on because I had a couple more great people influence me over this transition. And they came up, came up with 14 rules. And these are 14 rules. I call them shortcuts because if you do them, your life becomes tremendously more satisfying and you don't have to read a ton more books. This is kind of the base, the core, the core set. And one of them, for example, is speak your piece. Um, I was trained to have, you know, the lip lock on all the time and to always say yes to things I didn't want to say yes to. So speak your piece is a rule that has changed my life, changed the life of all the clients that I work with. And most importantly, I think it's changed the life of my children. Uh, we have, we, we call it coming clean. If we're good people doing good things. When you have the opportunity to express yourself in truth in a healthy way, when the answer of yes means yes and no means no, it's amazing how liberating it becomes. And there never is a lid back on that pot. So the nice thing is, you know, I, I call my kids out on things that they do that might be difficult. You know, for example, my, you know, my daughter literally kicks her shoe off, throws it across the room. It crashes into the only piece of pottery that I love, of course, and breaks it into a million pieces. But instead of reacting to that and starting with, the, you know, seeing the smoke come out my ears and friggin' fragging and all that kind of stuff, I just say, okay, you know what? We're going to take responsibility. That was my favorite piece. So apology would be a place to start. Second thing, I, you're going to have to save up. We're going to go out together and we're going to replace this to the best of our ability. And it allows everyone to express themselves in the moment, but not get, not stuff anymore. And when you use the speak your piece, you say yes to if somebody offers, they used to always do everything for school. Never wanted to do one of them. Not one committee. I was never interested. I didn't want to buy poinsettias. I didn't want to buy magazines. I didn't want to buy all that stuff. I finally was the only person in the entire, or the entire, okay, this is talk about anti-culture, to go, no, I'm sorry. I cannot pay for that now. I don't have the money or I just don't have any interest in that right now. I will contribute in a way that fulfills me. And it's funny how everybody, when you say it doesn't work for me, everybody weirdly goes on to your side and goes, oh, oh, I totally get it. You're right. We all want each other to be happy. So the nice thing is when you actually start coming clean and being really authentic, you'll find that you get greater acceptance rather than rejection. And so what I worked out with the school is I was able to be a cheerleading coach and be a volleyball coach and do the things that really were fun for me. And then I could be there with joy. Instead of sitting on these committees for, for things I had absolutely no interest on and I felt that horrible knitting feeling in the middle of your stomach when you got that like twist and it turns, I didn't have those feelings anymore. So that's the other one. Listen to your emotional radar detector. It's going off for a reason. <laughs> and all of these are just little clues using the body, using the spirit and putting them all together. Of course, the, the um, you know, your spiritual side and then, and then using your mind too and then using your mouth. Let yourself express yourself in a, in a healthy, happy way. And, and it leads to a life that's uh, it's just so much more satisfying and so much more fulfilling than walking around stuffing all the time. That dovetails nicely with the 
purpose of this show, A Congruent Life, which is really about these themes of authenticity and reinvention, uh, many of which you were describing. And in fact, you used the word authenticity in your last story there. So maybe in that context, what does living authentically or congruently mean to you? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, what it means to me is to, well, number one is to be present in your own life. Uh, there, I think we've had clues since oftentimes we're very young about everything that has that positive resonance to it, whether it be an activity you like to participate in, people you want to be with, a relationship that actually has a heart opening for you rather than a shutdown, and being keenly, keenly aware of every aspect of life, what you can say, I love to do, love to participate in, love to be with, and addressing every aspect on the other side of this, the shadow side, which is the fear. So if there's something that you love and you want to pursue, it might require extra energy. It might require going back to school. It might require making a sacrifice, but the sacrifice is towards your joy. So it's letting nothing stop you from having that uplifting, positive, I love it aspect to everything that you do. Now, that there's also a reality to it. This is the pragmatic part. Somebody's got to do the laundry. <laughs> you know, somebody has to cook the meal at Thanksgiving. That was me. Somebody had to cook the meal again at Christmas. That was me. And quick story, um, I've been practicing living this authentic life, and my mom has become sick, and she has been unable to do the meal, and I'm the only girl in the family, and, and for whatever reason... I agreed to do both meals for sit down for 12. And as you probably know, this year they were only four weeks apart. So by the time I got to the Christmas one, I literally thought I'd smoke pouring out my ears. I was crabby. I was not myself. I was starting to yell at people. I was doing all that stuff I tell everyone else not to do. And I noticed that I was kind of losing it because I was not being authentic. I did not want to do two sit-down meals. And so um, my kids were, one kid started running off crying, and I thought, oh my gosh, I need a timeout. <laughs> so I, this is true story, 10 o'clock at night, got in my car, drove to the lake in Chicago in December. Yeah, I was wearing like 20 coats. I sat out there for 20 minutes by the lake, really by myself, as you can imagine, on Christmas Eve. And I thought, okay, Let's take a minute, regroup, and let's get some inspiration. And I had this wonderful thought come over me, and it was obviously divinely guided from spirit. And it was like, this isn't what you're trying to create. I'm like, you're right. This is not what I'm trying to create. Me being the bad guy, me being evil, <laughs> evil woman running around on Christmas is not what I'm trying to do. So I had the chance to realize what my truth is and what was not spoken. I went back. I apologized to everyone. And I said, I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm not mad at anybody in this house. I'm mad at myself for being a doormat. And when I came clean in that moment, it changed everything. I stopped being angry. Everybody stopped being upset. I was able to get uh, forgiveness for being such a crabby pants. And I went on to have the holiday and re recognize that I will no longer do things that don't set right from the beginning because it does nothing except pour out in an inappropriate emotional way. So that's the kind of thing where maybe we should have gone out to dinner, we should have let somebody else cater it, I don't know what, but, 
But me agreeing and being completely inauthentic during this holiday was a huge lesson for me. And um, I got it. We get to create what we want. If you can just sometimes get yourself out of the situation long enough to to get back into that, um, your, you know, your awareness, raise your awareness and be really conscious about every choice that you're making. So I thought you might appreciate that little very recent story. That's a, a very relevant story and one that I'm sure almost all of our listeners could resonate with. The holidays always bring out something in us, don't they? They do. Great joy or great stress. And I, I still can't figure it all out, but it, it just takes that meter and it revs it up to 100 <laughs> Especially when combined with our families. Our families are great teachers for us, aren't they? They are wonderful mirrors. So Diane, what advice would you give our listeners that are maybe finding themselves in a, in a stuck place like you were describing? Maybe just at the time that you went to go see Sonia, people that are in that place of life, what kind of advice would you give to them? Well, what I would, what I would strongly suggest is that you actually sit down and give yourself a little bit of a report card. This is the measurement part that I like. Uh, we've been offering workshops. Um, they're life reboot workshops. And um, one of the exercises we do in these workshops, people find very helpful. You put yourself, give yourself four quadrants, mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, and give yourself a completely honest rating on how you're doing in each of those areas compared to how it feels to be your 100% authentic self. For example, if a lot of times we feel like our, our I, I would say in our culture anyway, we've got really strong minds. A lot of times the mind's already working at a 10. In fact, sometimes it's overworking at like a 12 or a 14 trying to run the show. But the question is, so, so leave, give that one a 10, fine. But take a look at your body. How does your body feel? Pain is usually trauma that is stuffed into it from, from behind, from the past, or from something that you are not taking a look at right now in areas in which you either need to move forward address, change, modify, and give yourself an evaluation. I mean, I hurt everywhere from my feet. By the time I saw Sonia, my feet, my knees, I always think of head, shoulder, knees and toes, knees and toes. I mean, everything hurt. And um, part of the reason it hurt is because I was not moving forward in any of the areas that I needed to be liberated in, whether it be an actor, become a SAG actor, and, and then go ahead and pursue all these things and write a book and get it out there. And the minute I finished writing the book, the pain stops. Mm. So look at the body. Give yourself an honest evaluation. Give an honest evaluation. How connected are to your higher self, your spiritual self? Are you hearing the wonderful, beautiful messages that are available to us at all times? Are you shutting it all down? And give yourself an honest evaluation on how you're doing on that emotional self. Are you happy? I mean, do you say, I, can you honestly say, I love what I do at least four or five times a week? You know, if you love the little red convertible, then have the little red convertible and drive around with the top down and pour the heat on yourself in the winter. I mean, you know, do whatever, do whatever's fun. That's what we're, you know, your birthright's joy. So take every step that you can towards moving towards joy. What's next for you, Diane? What kind of exciting projects do you have going on that you're excited about? Um, well, I'm, I'm very excited because I have uh, a lot of life reboot workshops going on across the country at uh, different places like Body, Mind, Spirit Expo. We're going to go, there's Body, Mind, Spirit, and then Mind, Body, Spirit. Those are two different ones. Uh, just came from Conscious Life Expo. I'm in the process of writing my second book. I have found some tremendously helpful tools uh, for uh, helping all of us create the life that we love that have all of these aspects of authentic and accountable authenticity. 
where you're accountable to yourself, to others, to your family, but you're mostly accountable to live the life you love. And so I found all these great tools, and that's all going into a second book. Um, and so I'm terribly excited about that one because that one's going to be a lot of fun. And then I'd like to create a platform. I'd like to create a platform in the future for not only people who are in midlife who need to reboot because the first part of the booting didn't work out quite quite right. But eventually, I'd also like to offer up a program for 20-somethings. I have a 22-year-old, a 17-year-old, and a 12-year-old. And imagine if we were actually living our authentic lives early on in our in our younger years. Maybe we'll have a whole lot more enjoyable existence than having to do, you know, 40 years of it off track and then, you know, 30, 40 years of it on track. Wouldn't it be great if, if all 70, 80 years, 90 years of it were on track? I think that that's what I hope, that we can create a whole movement towards that. A lot less stress. I think people will be a lot less angry, a lot less road rage, you know. You know, if you're doing what you love, it you know, it doesn't matter if somebody's going slow in front of you on the road. So I think, you know, those are the kind of things where I hope we can move towards an entire culture of people who are who are absolutely living in authenticity. And how can our listeners get in touch with you, engage with you? Well, uh, the book is called The Real Brass Ring, and it's on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. I also have a website uh, that um, I've created called LiveYourEverything.com, and that's where it has uh, – I'd like to make it a sanctuary. It's going to be a sanctuary for life rebooting, and it's uh, still in development, but I'd like to have products, resources for health, wellness, anti-aging, uh, beauty, and anything that works to help you have the life that you love. And so it's still in its early stages, but I'd like to make that uh, in the future a platform for all these these life reboot um, workshops and opportunities. Fantastic. Is um, there a final thought that you'd like to leave our listeners with about authenticity? Um, yes. What one thing I'd like to let you know is is no matter where you are, whether you're um, whether you're you know an early early on in life or whether you're somewhere in the middle of your life, it feels absolutely tremendous to do what you came here to do. And there is nothing that that is, it's, it's an unmistakable feeling when you're on track with your life purpose and your plan, you're making contribution towards the things that you came here to contribute. And you're also pursuing aspects of life that have passion to them. Your life is pure fun. Well, Diane Bischoff, James, thanks so much for sharing your stories and your wisdom with the world, uh, first through your book, and then secondly, for taking the time to share it with listeners here on A Congrat Life. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Diane Bischoff, James. The show notes for this episode are at acongruentlife.net slash 59 or acongruentlife.net slash James, which is J-A-M-E-S. A Congruent Life is supported by audible.com. If you're a fan of great audio content, you'll love Audible. They provide excellent productions of audiobooks and other kinds of spoken word content. I myself have been listening to Audible for many years. Audible is offering Aiken Grant Life listeners a free audiobook download, which you can access at aclbook.com. Thanks to those of you who have been leaving reviews for the show. That's enormously helpful for sharing Aiken Grant Life with others. If you would, please take a quick moment to leave a review for the show at aikengrantlife.net slash iTunes or aikengrantlife.net slash Stitcher. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to and supporting A Congruent Life. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. For more, please visit us on the web at acongruentlife.net. Do you have feedback about the show or suggestions for future guests? Please contact us through the website or send an email to 
feedback at a congruentlife.net. See you next time.